Good morning, everybody. If you don't recognize me, then it's probably the jacket. And uh, if it's an eyesore, then you can blame Pastor Adam on the way out. So. so please open with me to Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. As we open God's word this morning together. Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. So Paul is talking about here, when we open this passage up, about how we are called to be children of light and how he calls us into this glorious majesty of who God is and what he has done for us in the book of Ephesians um, as we sidestep and take a hiatus a little bit from the Gospel of Luke. He is calling us into be children of light. So that's what I'm going to focus on here and from the passage. So let's please follow along with me as I read Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. <clears throat> Excuse me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. For God's word to move. Dear Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your, your goodness and your kindness towards us. And this is about you, God. This passage is about you. I pray that you would have nothing added to it or have me detract anything away from it. I pray that you would enliven the timid, that you would raise up the downcast, that you would strengthen those who don't know you to know you 
and those who do know you to know you more and live for you as you are our true source of light. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time, and we pray that you would show us your son, Jesus Christ, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we examine Ephesians 5, Paul, through the book of Ephesians, continues to contrast an issue, an issue that is one of the biggest issues in the Christian life, and one of the biggest issues in life, period, because the only life that will awaken us to see the dangers of darkness that are evil things and walk as children of light is the Christian life, and therefore it's a wake-up call it's a wake-up call for two reasons. One, it's a wake-up call for Christians to take note of the dangers of darkness and how we are called to holy living. That's who we are. That's who we are called to, that's what we are called to live in. As in 1 Peter 1.16 calls us to be holy as God is holy. For the second reason is for Christians to persuade non-Christians in love how Christ calls them into a life, a life of love and relationship with him forever as their true source of joy and to repent and put their faith in Jesus. And so this wake-up call is found directly in verse 14 where it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Darkness from a Christian perspective can be a life, from, a life apart from a personal relationship with God. It can be a life where you're living in disobedience to God and his word. Uh, some of these things start being listed in verse three. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, crude joking, foolish talk, to name a few. And so what this says about the Christian life is absolutely indispensable for this reason. Only one life leads to glory the Christian life. And whether you've lived as a believer for 40 years or just moments before your death, and therefore, not to know this life and to walk in it would mean you don't have eternal life in the end. So this is huge. Ephesians 5 is huge. So where am I getting this common teaching from Paul? It's, it's very common in his epistles throughout the New Testament as he talks about it in Romans 6.22, for example, where he says, but now that you have been freed from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification or holiness and its end, eternal life. So ask this question, what is eternal life the outcome of in Paul's common teaching here? Well, it's the outcome of holiness or being freed from sin and enslaved to God. There is a life to be lived, not just a doctrine to be believed or not just an act of faith at the beginning to be performed. There is a life to be lived and this life has an outcome. The outcome is eternal life. Not to live this life is not to have eternal life in the end. So what is spoken of in this chapter of Ephesians 5 and Paul's common teaching is of relevance for everybody who wants eternal life, and that's everybody. Nobody wants to be damned. So this is huge, and it doesn't matter whether you call yourself a Christian or not. Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist, spiritualist, agnostic, call yourself what you may, but what the Bible says about the Christian life is that there is only one life that leads to glory. 
And so therefore we practice Christian holiness because we are to walk as children of light. And this is done by God awakening us through his word, which is the Bible. And so Ephesians traces this out for us. Ephesians 1 talks about how we have spiritual blessings. We have spiritual blessings that are from God and, him, and, his, and through his word. And it goes on and how it talks about in Ephesians 1 is how, how we have them available to us here on this earth. Um, Ephesians 6 goes on to say about the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. We have access to these things here on earth. And then in Ephesians 2, as um, Pastor Jeremy prayed for us, it goes on to say how in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, how it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, but a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this says that you were dead in your sins, and now look what God did by his grace and his grace alone, and not by any effort or merit that you have. And, and since we are God's workmanship, created not for darkness or evil things, but for good works, we are to walk in them as children of light. So if you come to this passage and, and you say, I don't get it, how can this be? How can I reconcile some of the verses in this passage, specifically verse six? How can God in verse six exercise his wrath on the disobedient, those who hate God, but also be a God of love who calls believers to walk in that same love towards others. How can he be a God of both? Well, know that you're in good company because the apostle Paul himself responded to his own teaching with, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you in verse 14. Those are his words, not mine. That is, and that is why my prayer and my hope that for us, that God would go down to the depth of our hearts and cut away the calluses for our capacities to be awakened by him and his word through Ephesians 5. It's very intentional that Paul's doing this and where he proves it in verse 14. He didn't water down the gospel. He didn't peddle it. He didn't mishandle it. He didn't take away anything from it that would be fruitful and hopeful and loving towards others. And so... <clears throat> He means to awaken us here. He means for us to put our hands over our mouths and say, I don't get it, I can't explain it. He means not to just leave us there, but also to teach us how to live as a child of light in Christ. And so if you feel that way, don't resent it. Learn as much as you can from as much as he gives. Take sexual immorality, for example, as we see the emphasis in the text. One of the main reasons that we are sinking today in America and in the church at large, in a sea of sexual immorality. This includes sexual sins, including adultery, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, etc., to name a few. Men and women committing these acts of debasement. One of the main reasons that we, the church included, are sinking in this sea is because we are intellectually and emotionally disconnected from God and his word. And instead, we are sinking in a sea of triviality, pettiness, and silliness. I struggle with this, with the silliness part, for example. And, and so we have lost our capacity to be awakened by God and his word 
And we live at such a low level searching for the best trivial buzz available to us. Trivial can mean something that is unimportant or a waste of time. Social media can be trivial. TV can be trivial. Conversation can be trivial. Radio can be trivial. Education can be trivial. What's really sad is that Christian books are pushed by publishers to be trivial. We put aside our Bibles and we settle for a light and fluffy Christian theology book that takes out important aspects of the gospel and, and we use it instead of going to the Bible first. Worship styles have become trivial. We trifle with our little jokey ways because that's what we do when we watch TV, when we're at home, and if we feel comfortable and others feel comfortable in our little jokey churches, they might come back. We have lost our capacity to, to be awakened by the word of God, by the wrathful yet merciful God who embraces us like a child to love and live for him in every part of our lives. And when we live at such a low level looking for the best buzz available to us, when we live in that sea of triviality, then we're missing out. We're missing out on a lot of things, especially Christ. Because there is another air to breathe. There is another level of joy there is another experience of being awakened by God and his word and his majesty and his splendor that if you lived there, you wouldn't want to be searching for the best buzz available to you. And the only way I believe that this happens and as we see in scripture is not, not by any particular Christian, for example, but God uses other Christians to bring his word to each other. For none of us can do this or cause the capacities for one another to be awakened by God and his word. Only God can do it. Only God can enliven our hearts to, to divine things through his word. And so the, I would say that the deepest cure for our pathetic addictions to trivial things is to be intellectually, and that's important. There's different, different levels of intellect that people have. But I underline that word because it, it, theology and doctrine are important and how you interpret scripture and so I would say that the deepest cure for our pathetic addictions to trivial things, as it says in scripture, is to be intellectually and emotionally awakened by God and his word. And I will do my best to help you get there to the end of the passage, particularly emotionally. And that's my prayer because I feel bound by scripture to do so. So regardless of your social rank in society, we can be awakened intellectually and emotionally by God and his word with God's spirit and the humility and kindness of Christ that if we see here in verses 19 through 21, which says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. His thoughts are beyond me. I bow and I humble myself. I love this God. I will not just sit in front of my phone or my TV. I will walk outside and look up and say, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Lord, help make me pure. Come on, friends. Come on, let's, let's wake up to reality. Let's not live in a sea of triviality 
but live as a child of light and look to Jesus for he's the only one who can awaken us. So why is it important for us to see all this? Why is it important for us to know this, to see it, to live it? Well, God wants to protect us from these dark trivialities that can rot us from the inside. He wants to protect us. Uh, The challenge for us is not knowing what is right or wrong. Rather, it's not accounting for the consequences of those actions, of the deeds of darkness. And so my main gospel point this morning is from from Ephesians 5, is verses 2 and 8. Because Christ loved you and gave himself up for you, which is the supreme act of his love, let us live as children of light. So how do we walk as children of light? Well, Paul focuses on three aspects. He focuses on one, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Two, expose the darkness. And three, make the best use of your time. So what does this mean for me, you might ask? Well, the opposite of these things is to walk in self-love and put yourself first. But walking as a child of light is to love God and love others. Let's look at the first point. We must discern what is pleasing to the Lord as we see in verse 10 and 17. So why is Paul saying this? Well, verse six says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So Paul is talking about false teachers here. He's talking about those who infiltrate the church, who are not just outside of the church, but who are in the church possibly. And they're telling Christians that they can live unrepentant, sinful lives and keep living in sin and darkness. Second Timothy three, one through nine also talks about this very specifically. For non-Christians, these practices lead to the wrath of God due to their disobedience to God's word. And this is to show that is not how Christians and children of light are to live. Verse seven says, therefore, do not become partners with them. So not becoming partners with them, what does that mean? Well, it means don't believe what they teach. Don't believe it. Don't believe it, don't live by it. Because if it doesn't line up with God's word, trash it and don't live by it. Verse 10 says instead, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is a letter of encouragement to believers, to encourage them to discern, to find out, to prove what pleases the Lord. And we are to test everything according to his word, the Bible, which is our ultimate authority and source of truth for all of life. And so it is necessary for us us to discern according to the Bible because everyone is trying to make sense of this life and its events. Lisa Beamer, wife of 9-11 hero Todd Beamer, you might have heard about her. She, She was interviewed on Larry King Live about 10 times and wrote a popular book called Let's Roll, which were the last words of her husband. Um... Uh, after helping, before helping prevent Flight 93 from crashing into the Capitol in Washington, D.C. Um, after her husband's death, who was one of the passengers on the plane who was instrumental in helping prevent it, that flight from crashing into the Washington, D.C. Capitol, she was, after her husband's death, she was trying to make sense of this life and its events and on what was pleasing to the Lord. She notes that without God, the world is hopeless. As she attended the memorial service in Shanksville, PA at the crash site where her husband died with around 40 others, the day before on Sunday, 
She was strengthened by a Christ-centered service for Todd. But then, and then she goes on, on Monday, the day after, as I listened to the well-intentioned speakers who were doing their best to comfort, but with little, if any, direct reference to the power of God to sustain us, I felt I was sliding helplessly down a high mountain into a deep crevice. As much as I appreciated the kindness of the wonderful people who tried to encourage us, that afternoon was actually one of the lowest points in my grieving. It wasn't the people or the event or the place. Instead, it struck me how hopeless the world is when God is factored out of the equation. Friends, when tragedy strikes, where do you go to first to discern your situation? If we look to ourselves or the world, it's hopeless. But if we look to God, we can tr trust that Christ is shining his light on our situation, even when we don't even see or realize it. For Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so you are not alone. So we can learn from Lisa that if you try to make sense of this life without God, it won't work. It is hopeless. So part of walking as children of light means that we not only discern what is pleasing to the Lord, but we must also expose the darkness. In verses 11 through 13, it shows this. When Paul says expose, what is he talking about here? Because that can mean a lot of different things. Well, from the original language of Greek in the scriptures, it can also mean reprove and convict, correct out of a love for another person's soul. And part of this is that we must abstain from giving any assistance or consent to darkness because in all these ways, ways, we are taking part in the darkness. It's not, have nothing to do with darkness. Instead, Paul is saying, expose it, being in the world and not of the world. So what does that mean exactly? Well, it means to, to engage, seeking to engage, to correct or redeem our culture in a way, to lovingly show people that they are blindly following a path that could lead to sin and misery. And so Paul is saying that we are, there are also, specifically, he's saying that there are certain sins so shameful that bringing them to light will cause a non-Christian to repent and believe in Jesus. The presence of a genuine Christian alone could cause this just by you not participating in them. Or you may openly denounce them out of a love for another person. Verse 14, awake, O sleeper, is an analogy for calling upon the spiritually dead to rise up and receive the light of Christ in their heart. And then you see in Ephesians 2 how it talks about how we were dead in our sins, but God makes people alive in Christ. He is the one who saves. Matt Chandler says something that just stuck with me. He says, when God saves you, he doesn't do it because you gave him permission. He does it because he's God. So this should encourage us that our efforts in ministry, in life, depend on God and not us. So friends, do you love those around you enough to lovingly expose a dark path that they may be heading towards or that they are already in? Or are you passively ignoring them as they head down that dark path? 
Well, I encourage you to speak to them out of a love for them and even ask permission, can I, can I talk to you about something, for example? Because this is our calling and this shows that you care about them as a child of light. Verse 9 talks about, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So when you shine a light on something, particularly maybe in a dark place, you can see things more clearly. You can see whatever's going on in the area, particularly maybe if you have dirty carpet and you can see exactly what's going on. And when you shine on something, how can we specifically do that in the Christian life, for example? Well, we can do this towards others by the fruits of the Spirit, for example, in Galatians 5. It says to show love to others. We can expose the darkness by having inexpressible joy in the Christian life. We can show that we are a person of peace and reconciliation towards others. We can show it through kindness, using words to build each other up. We can show that goodness in following Christ and his word is better than any other life in this world. And we can show it by gentleness, self-control, and as the scriptures say, there is no law against these things. So Jesus takes it a step further and he says in Matthew 45, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Show others love regardless of how they treat you, regardless of how bad they may treat you. That's what Jesus is saying here. So we are to act in a way so that God will use us by his Holy Spirit to awaken the spiritually dead so that Christ may change their hearts. Verse 14 is saying that it is God who is at work to transform his people into a person to accept Christ way before, way before a person decides to follow Jesus. So Christ is at work regenerating people's hearts before they even acknowledge Christ and accept him in their hearts. So therefore, walking as children of light, we not only discern and expose the darkness, but we must also make the best use of the time. How do we do this? How do we make the best use of our time? Well, we can do it by pursuing wisdom from God's word, the ultimate source. And this is the will of the Lord, as Ephesians 5 says. Why should we do it? Why should we make the best use of our time? Well, right after the verse, it says, because the days are evil, that we live in a fallen, sinful world, and we, we are susceptible to the darkness. So now, you know, we can't, when we look at the time and how time has passed, we can't recover time because once it's gone, it's gone. But making the best use of the time means redeeming the time from this point forward. Why does it matter that we should redeem our time? Well, it matters that we redeem our time because making the best use of our time is to take part against these evil days and make an impact for the better of the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. How do we act as wise, as the scripture says? How do we pursue wisdom, act in wisdom? I would say that when we look at scripture, it's pretty clear in Psalm 1-2 says that if we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, we will triumph over every obstacle 
that Satan puts before us. It's paraphrased. And Psalm 119 also says that we keep our way pure by guarding it according to God's word. This is walking in wisdom. For, excuse me, <clears throat> verse 18 says, I'm sorry, verse eight says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Paul is pointing to a change in the Ephesians. He's pointing to a change from darkness into light. That Christ is in them is the supreme source of their light. And therefore they are to walk as children of that same light to a lost and hurting world. This is exactly what Jesus did. He came to redeem a lost and hurting world. And we can also take part in this redeeming work. And this is a blessing to be a part of this redeeming work in Christ. And so my question is, do we want that purpose? Do we want that same joy? Do we want that peace? Do we want that hope in being children of light? If we just seek the light or to live in it, then the Christian life wouldn't be any different than any other religion of the world. How is that so? Well, rather, becoming a Christian involves a change from darkness to light. And this light of Christ must not only focus within, but also outwardly, shining as a beacon. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ is more powerful than your sin and the sins of others that you help through his word. So verses 15 through 17 says to walk with wisdom according to God's will and make the best use of the time that, God, that you have been given from God. Most Christians don't see time as, as important as it really is, yet we are fixed in a time and a location and born into a specific generation for a purpose. And so no one can make a true eternal impact for the better of the world in making the best use of their time without Christ as their true eternal source and light from the inside out. And so in the Christian life, the, these are not ways to become a child of God, but they are evidence of being a child of God. There, there is first a transformation from walking as children of darkness to walking as children of light because Christ loved us and gave himself for us. We become a new person, and this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Ephesians, God making a spiritually dead person into a spiritually alive person. And uniting those people in the church body, both inwardly and outwardly. And so in losing our capacity to be awakened by God and his word, and living at such a low level, seeking the best trivial buzz available to us, how can we discern the darkness, expose the darkness, and make the best use of, God's time, of, of our time that God has given us as a child of light? Well, I would say that this passage teaches that our deepest cure for our pathetic addictions to trivial things is to be intellectually and emotionally awakened by God and his word. So if you aren't a Christian, you may think, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Therefore, you might think that it makes sense for you, for you to increase your enjoyment in the now and have no concern for others or where you will be after you die. But God's word calls you to something greater. 
There is a deeper level of joy. There is a purpose and a magnificence and a splendor and majesty of God that if you lived there, you would not want to be searching for the lowest trivial buzz available. And Christ calls us to that same joy and peace of, and, and forgiveness of sins, of acceptance before God, not because of what you have done, but what because Christ has done for you. On the other side, you may be suffering right now with pain or loss, possibly the loss of, loss of a loved one that's closest, that's very clo that was very close to you. Or socially, you may be suffering, feeling rejected by others, mentally, emotionally, or physically, in physical pain. But let me remind you, my friends, that in the darkest hours and loneliest nights, when times of sorrow overtake you, when trials overwhelm your very soul, and you feel that God the Father cannot hear your cries, when you feel abandoned and alone, Remember that you can never stand where Jesus stood. You can never fully experience the magnitude of the suffering that he experienced because he stood there for you. You can never say that you've gotten what you deserved. You can never say that you've been utterly forsaken because Jesus always stands in between. And we cannot stand where he stood and we will never be where he was because he stood there for us. This is a solemn thing when you walk the streets of glory by the grace of God and when you walk heaven, you will never find one who has been forsaken by God, but one, Jesus Christ. He endured that curse and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out like those forsaken by God at the end of time as a parallel to those who say, Lord, Lord, but did not truly know Jesus. But the good news is that none of God's people will experience this forsakenness. Because Christ cried out for us. Jesus in his death endured the full penalty of God's wrath in our place, taking on the punishment that we deserved and rose to new life so that we can live with him forever. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The good news is that I was wandering in the darkness, but now Christ has set me free by his light to be intellectually and emotionally awakened by God and his word. Glory to God for he didn't leave us alone in our own suffering. And because Jesus endured the ultimate suffering and death and was raised to new life forever, by faith in him, our suffering won't last forever. It will, because we will soon be with him in utter joy with no pain or tear or sorrow with him in his glory forever. Therefore, because Christ loved you and gave himself up for you, which is the supreme act of his love, let us walk as children of light by discerning what is pleasing to the Lord, exposing the darkness, and making the best use of the time that God has graciously given to each and every one of us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you. We acknowledge your grace and
how you give us a spirit of humility to be submissive to your word and to know and to love you all our days. I pray, Lord, that we would truly know and live out what Jesus says and look to him. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would make it our one and only source for truth and authority in our lives. We pray that as we respond to your word, that we would go out living in a way that we are children of light and that we would truly want to show others that same light, that we would want to discern, that our first thought would be to discern our situations, to expose out of a love for another person, and to make the best use of our time for your glory, God, and your glory alone. We love you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.